Hello, this is Marshall Crenshaw, and you're listening to Jim and Mike Talk Music. special guest with us today he's a singer songwriter guitarist it's been 40 years since he released his self-titled debut album since then he's released nine more albums seven eps seven live albums he's currently one of the lead singer for the new jersey band the smithereens let's all welcome to jim and mike talk music mr marshall crenshaw <laughs> and the crowd goes wild <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I just got home. My wife and I went up to New York to see our daughter and go to the oh, okay. Tulip Festival. Oh, mm -hmm. nice. And we had like two and a half hours of Tulip Festival and <laughs> we got back. That's where I've been today. Sure hope the weather is better than here. Cold where are you? Rain here. <laughs> right here in Washington, where New Jersey. Washington, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. oh, all right. On the East Coast, though. Yeah. Or, or North, or, uh, you, you've, you've been here, Washington, <laughs> in September. Uh, you're, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, at the music festival in town. Yeah. With the smithereens. So oh, okay, I believe. <laughs> you know, it's hard to keep track of all the oh, yeah, sure. at my age, but I believe in. So you're, you're in Rhinebeck? Yeah. I just went over to make sure, but yeah, um, <laughs> that's where I live. In Rhine, yeah. Rhinebeck, New York. Rhinebeck's beautiful. It's upstate New York. Yeah, I've been there twice. Oh, okay. I've, I've lived in this region now for most of my life, unplanned, but that's how it's been since the beginning of 1987. Okay. So if I do the math, <laughs> it's like way over half my life. So mm -hmm. In a recent interview, you mentioned a couple of record stores that you go to near Rhinebeck. Uh, so you, you collect vinyl, I take it? Uh, you know, I wouldn't say I collect it. It's more like I just buy it once in a while. But uh, I, do, I mean, I do have records, yes, that, that, that I've been carting around with me ever since the 70s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you never let go you know? of the collection like a lot of people did. Got rid of it. No, I never did that. And, uh, yeah. But the other day, I, I, got a rec I got a record off the shelf and put it on and it was like really scratchy and it sounded terrible. So I threw it in the garbage can <laughs> and it was one that I had since the seventies. And I thought yeah. I, that was a breakthrough just then that I did that, that mm -hmm. I threw the record in the Got garbage rid of can. One. Yeah. There'll be more. Now that I've done it once, I can do it again. Yeah. <laughs> the grime of all those years in the grooves. That's what, yeah. it, that's what it was. Yeah. I wrote my name on the back of my first fall. <laughs> You know what I mean? I always used to write my name on my records. Right. That's uh, for, yeah. For when you lend it out to a friend, you it, it's supposed to make its way back to you. That's right. Or if you borrowed it from somebody else and never gave it back, but you don't want to give it back, you write your name on it. I've done that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. I've recycled records. Well, when I throw them out, I don't like to throw them in the garbage. So I yeah. put so them in you... recycling. I don't know if they really? recycle them or not. Uh, I can't imagine. That's well, it's vinyl. I yeah. Don't know. yeah. Plastic. Yeah. Right? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off by talking about your most recent album releases from last year. Okay. One was a li live album. The other was a re-release. Mm -hmm. uh, in September, you released, I love this title, The Wild Exciting Sounds of Marshall Crenshaw. Live in the 20th and 21st century. Now, is, yeah. were those songs that were not on other albums, live albums, were they new? Releases? Yeah, everything on, everything on that album was being released for the first time. One, <laughs> one, one of the discs was um, a live, well, I guess it was more than one show, but a handful, let's say, of excerpts of shows from, you know, the early 1980s. And uh, there used to be these 
like syndicated shows on FM rock radio stations. You know, they'd usually be on on Sunday nights. It was like the London Wavelength and New King Biscuit Flower Hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that one. I don't know. I can't tell how old you guys are, but anyway, <laughs> uh, this guy was We're in our mid fifties. Are you okay? Maybe you remember this stuff then. The owner of the label bought like some tape libraries from some of these companies when they shut down. That's what one of the discs is. It's just a compilation of stuff that he had mm-hmm. in his archives from his old radio recordings. Yeah. And then the oh, cool. second disc. The second disc is just stuff that I had myself. He wanted to he wanted to expand the thing and not just have it be a early eighties stuff. <laughs> so it really covers a wide time span. Sounds pretty good if you if you like my stuff. It sounds pretty good. Oh, it's I I love it. There's a lot of good stuff on there. I, and then the next one uh, was four four seven. Yeah, I have it here. Yeah, Jim showing a picture oh, yeah. right there for our yeah. listeners. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. So this was like a box of Cracker Jacks for me. Yeah, you know when you get the toy inside. Oh. Yeah, there it is. I didn't know that was in there. I'm like, there's, yeah. something, there's something else in here. Do you come up with that idea yourself? It's, it's a, uh, For our listeners, it's a 45. It's an extra little bonus inside the uh, 33 and a half record. I did come up with the idea. <laughs> I did a licensing deal with this label called Megaforce for the albums that I made on Razor and Tie Records. That's a record company that mm-hmm. I think might still exist, actually. Razor and Tie, that is. But anyhow... Um, I got the rights back to the recordings. They reverted to me. So I wanted them to not go into oblivion. I wanted them mm-hmm. to be out there in the digital marketplace along with everything else. And uh, so I made a deal with Megaforce Records and I asked them to do it this way. If they would just like the the way the record releases would be, was it would be the album and then there would be a brand new single, two new recordings from me. And I, I did that to trick myself you know I, I made a commitment to them that i would make new recordings so, mm, right. so then i would have to do it <laughs> yeah. And so I did. Yeah. yeah uh how does that work with the rights com- coming back to you did you uh you sought that out or did it time out you said yeah well in this case in this case it was something in the contract you know the lawyer that i had back then was real smart um, that's one way to put it. And, um, <laughs> you know, we put that in there. I, I didn't ask him to, but he just put that clause in there so that after 15 years, I'd have control of the masters again. So yeah. that was nice. But then there's another situation where I was able to claim the U.S. copyrights to the sound recordings that I made for Warner Brothers. And that's mm-hmm. due to uh, the nature of U.S. copyright law. Just a lucky <laughs> thing, you know. After 35 years, the works revert to the author, and that's me. Oh, that's so, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I got a lot of stuff back. And some of it was by design, and some of it was just like by happy happenstance, I guess. Mm-hmm. U.S. copyright law. Is this the first time this is on vinyl? Because this was 1999. Yeah, and, that's right. And, and I don't, uh, I think CDs were pretty prominent then. Yeah. Um, during the 1990s, when I was with Razor and Tie, there was like never any thought whatsoever given to the idea of putting the records out on uh, on LPs or on vinyl. You know, it would have been yeah. like putting them on a track tape or a wax cylinder mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, it, 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 you know, the industry considered vinyl records to be outmoded. And I remember back when I, I've told this story a few times now, but back when I first signed with Warner Brothers Records, or maybe it was before I signed with them, but I remember the president of the label telling me about the compact disc. He'd been to an expo in Tokyo and had seen them demonstrated, and he just told me, this is what it's going to be. There aren't going to be any more, you know, 12-inch albums anymore. And I was oh, really? Why do things have to change? I don't like it to change. But anyway, uh, but now they, they came back. Due to popular mm-hmm. demand, phonograph records are back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm fully on board with that, right? So, uh, yeah, the, the stuff that's coming out now, that album that you held up and the mm-hmm. other Razor and Tie issue, first time on vinyl. I have to stop buying so albums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm up to 300 albums. Last year, I was at a little over 100. 
So I've oh. bought two two hundred more albums since last year. So I'm like, yeah, and that's that's from, <clears throat> that you're one of the people that got rid of their you know depleted their original uh, collection, right? Right. Yeah, I had a good collection. Yeah, Marshall so. Marshall's way above that. We know that you haven't counted yours. <laughs> no, I haven't. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I will. But once in a while, I, I do go through and purge stuff. But I do more of that. You know, at the age that yeah. I am now, it's start letting go. of Letting go. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, so, when we, I felt bad when we moved into this house, just watching these young guys having to carry all this crap that I had. <laughs> that I, was lazy, I was too lazy to figure out how much of it I really, 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 really wanted. Hmm. Well, no, that's not that's not a hundred percent true. I, I think maybe I did pare it down a little bit before we moved, but next time we move, there'll be a lot less of it. I promise. Yeah. yeah, I downsized uh, three years ago. I know what that's like. Cut it in about half my space. So, yeah, it's you have to just let go. Sentimental or uh, or it goes. <laughs> what else is like yeah. everything is out there on the Internet now. Like, yeah, yeah. The I music's used, out there, right? I used to trade and collect VHS tapes of old Ready, Steady, Go. Not that one, but, you know, just like all these old. Like I had the film of James Brown at the Garden, the show that he did the week after Dr. King was assassinated. I had that mm-hmm. for ages and ages. I got it. I used to collect the trade stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, now it's all on YouTube. Oh yeah. So you don't need to have the physical burden mm-hmm. of the. It's the same with records, really. I mean, like anytime I think of a record, it's always up there. It doesn't matter how obscure it is. It's like everything. Yeah, it's on the internet now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not all, not all your albums are on Apple Music, though. Like oh, that's right. I shouldn't. The first three I said because I don't. <laughs> I'm working on that. Okay. I don't want to discourage anybody from buying records, though. If you want to yeah, buy yeah. records, like particularly, if you want to buy any of mine. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah for example, uh, you know, Jim just Jim yeah. just said there's certain ones you can't call up uh, and just find and just call up on Apple Music. What do you got there, Jim? <laughs> Well, I have I have the first. Let's see. What do you got? I have the first three on vinyl. All right. Oh, for our listeners, here's uh, here's um, first one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've got Field Day and <clears throat> Downtown. What's this though? Who, who's uh, who's on that cover of that? Who's, who's that on the cover? That one. So yeah. this one. So <laughs> I, I know you. I know you don't like this cover. I've heard. Yeah, he's heard already. And you look like you're about to go on a job interview. Yeah. You you look dapper. You look dapper. Dapper, right? But okay, that's good. What yeah. what's this building? Uh, yeah, when you pull out the jacket, the right. inside jacket. Yeah, I have. I yeah. fell on the floor. Yeah, 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 it's over there on the floor. The in, what, inside jacket. Yeah, the inside jacket has mm-hmm. the built that building. I assume it's the same. It building. looks like a J. Edgar Hoover building in D.C. You know, looks like. But anyway, I'm not. I don't know, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I was. I wasn't standing in front of that building when the picture was taken. I was in. Okay, <laughs> and that was before Photoshop. I was in a studio in front of a backdrop. Mm-hmm. They didn't have Photoshop back then. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I had a manager at the time who thought that graphic design was something that he knew something about. So for the first and second album, he hired an expensive graphic design mm-hmm. company <laughs> to do those album covers. Yeah. With the first one. It was really the, the, these people called Gary Green and Christina Delancey who came up with that. Gary took me over to a friend to do the photo session because this guy had all the Fiesta wear and all the retro kind of furniture and stuff. And uh, and then Christina, I guess, hand-tinted the pictures. Then uh, somebody else came. Again, my manager hired this design firm, and that guy put his name on the cover, kind of took credit for it. And then with the second one, again, he hired like this expensive design firm and they came up with that cover for field day which i just i uh, never liked it you look I studious talking, i got talked into a crew yeah. regretted it ever the way the whole thing works now is that like i like i said before i reclaimed the u.s rights to the recordings mm-hmm. so I, I that's the reason that nothing is up on uh any of the platforms now is because when i once i had the copyrights i asked for it all to be taken down and uh, mm-hmm. we're going to reissue it 40th anniversary issues. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. That's yeah that'll be, nice be in, too. Yeah, that'll be in the near future then. Yeah. Good. Oh, on the first one. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. if there's going to be a 40th mm-hmm. yeah. anniversary. 
It comes out in November. And, okay. uh, you know, I spent the last year and a half or so working on getting that all organized and getting the packages done. And Is there going to be extras on there? Like demos and like outtakes? Or... Yeah, there's some bonus tracks. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's all forthcoming. Let's talk about the Smithereens. Okay. Mike and I, we've been fans, believe it or not, since 87. Yeah, the Be- Beacon Theater, right? Sorry. Yeah, we tried to see him at the Stone Pony, but Mike had just <laughs> turned 21, but we won't go into that. Yeah, didn't get in. Because of his ID. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I've seen him over 40 times in different versions mm-hmm. or different forms. Wow. And my last time seeing them was uh, with you on stage, I believe, uh, right before COVID hit. Yeah, it was and, March 2020. Yeah, March 2020. Uh, we were talking about coronavirus, not even calling it COVID. And uh, that was the last show for months. Was uh, It was at the um, Polak Theater. Uh, something like that. Monmouth, that- Monmouth College. I remember it very, very well. I remember and- that whole time very well. One of my favorite photos, that's you there. Uh, oh, and, the only, and the only words, yeah, you can't see that well, and our listeners can't see it at all. But, uh, yeah, you got the Marshall stack. So it's you with your electric guitar, and all you see is Marshall, Marshall. I think that's pretty cool. Well, let me see it again. Let me see the picture again. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, so it's ah. just Marshall, Marshall. Said, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the first time you met the Smithereens. I know that you have a long history with them because you were on their first album. Uh-huh. Did you? Was that the I first met, time you met them, or did you? Did you know the guy? I mean, that was like, what year was that? Eighty six, eighty seven. Probably, yeah, probably eighty six. Yeah. I, I met Pat first because mm-hmm. he kind of wanted to meet me. I guess. I okay. Remember him <laughs> being. Uh, there you go. <laughs> That's yeah. the way it went, if I, if I remember correctly. Is it's just like there he was, you know. Yeah. And um, and then I didn't see the band. Oh, I saw them on I saw them on the Uncle Floyd show. Okay. Yeah. That was the first time I saw them, and I started started to you know just sort of understand that there was this thing called the Smithereens. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. uh, the first time I met the other guys was at the recording session. I that's I'm sure that's how it went. They um they worked with a producer called Alan Betrock. Mm-hmm. Alan produced my first record, the first one I ever made, which was a single on the Shake Records label. That was Alan's label. The Smithereens, Jimmy later told me that they they connected with Alan because I had worked with him. So they mm-hmm. wanted to work with him because I had. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Which is kind of interesting. <laughs> anyway, Pat, I guess it was, invited me to come to the, the session. And uh, it was at the record plant you know, which is where I did my first album. And the engineer they were using was a guy named Jim Ball, who was the uh, assistant engineer on my first album. So it's people that I knew that they're, you know, they're working with Alan and Jim Ball and it's at their record plant. So it's. Yeah. So you're that's feeling where I the guys. Yeah, it was, it was just, you know, like like that. So uh, that's where I met the other guys. I'm not mistaken. And then uh, then another like a year goes by and they have a deal to make an album. And they want to re-record the song that I played on, which was called Strangers When We Meet. Yep. You must mm-hmm. know that one. They wanted me to come in and play the keyboard parts again. And this time they're working with a producer named Don Dixon. And that was another guy that I'd worked with. So we're all friends. It's all cool. And then the other thing was like maybe right around that time is when I saw the band play live for the first time. Or not the first time, because they tell me now that they opened some shows for me. And I don't remember that anymore, but I know, you know, it must have happened if they say it, that mm-hmm. it did. <laughs> but I just remember seeing them do a sound check one day at the bottom line. And like something happened to them where they just like really were fierce all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It's like they went to the crossroads or something. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, these guys, where have they been? They really have gotten good, you know. They're just, yeah. just like really doing it for real. And, uh, and that's it, that, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. when I met them. I met them back right when I first got into show business or shortly thereafter. I've known them ever since. Yeah. So in 2018, you became one of the two lead singers. The other one is Robin Wilson mm-hmm. from the Gin Blossoms. Yeah. yeah sadly, right. Pat passed away in December 2017. Right. I knew Pat. I didn't yeah. know him as, you know, hanging out with him. but He slept on your couch, though. He knew my son, and I went to his 
Memorial Day uh, concerts at yeah. his house, you know, all of those. Yeah. Always a fun time with Pat and yeah. his mom, you know. So I, I think I saw you the first time you the Smithereens played without Pat. It was the Alp, Outpost in the Burbs. It's a church. That was the first game we did, yeah. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. And the beautiful the, church. And the power yeah, yeah. went out, I remember. Uh, I think Jimmy mentioned oh, something great. about yeah, Pat. That was, that was kind of wild. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, didn't, I didn't know what to make of that. Yeah. But, was that uh, spiritual or what happened? Well, we were in a church. <laughs> I don't know. Pat wasn't, I don't think, a real religious person. But. Who knows? I'm, I'm agnostic about all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. But like, were you at the, the tribute thing at the Count Basie Theater? Yes. I was at all three. I, mm-hmm. I was at the uh, Court Tavern and the other one at Crossroads. Okay. Yeah, I was at at that one. The, the one at the, the the one at the Count Basie Theater. That that was when this whole thing with me and them started, and with okay. Robin too. It just you know I did that. It was you know like a really memorable experience that night. I've always said when yeah. people ask me about it that it was like something like a family reunion in a way. It was very emotional, and because uh, I, I mean I was really sad when he died. Mm-hmm. Even though I knew that it was, uh, I wasn't surprised. Mm-hmm. But when yeah. it happened, when it actually did happen, it was like, oh, you know, it was it still really... a shock, right? So we did the tribute show, and then the one at the Count Basie Theater, and then just like maybe three weeks later, I heard from Dennis, and he asked me to do this TV show with them. Mm-hmm. So I did, and it was Jim and Dennis and Graham, maybe, and myself, and and then about. Six weeks after that, I guess, Dennis called me again and said that they were going to do some tour dates and wanted to know if we'd do those. Or maybe, yeah, I, now it's all scrambled in my head because uh-huh. I'm pretty sure that, that Montclair show was the first time that we really played a show, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, we did a lot of songs that night. We did like 35 songs that night. Uh-huh. You talk about that one show that was really special to you where you really felt like a, like a family or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, how else did it feel? How else can you describe, uh, you know, is it, uh, is it unique with the Smithereens? Because, you know, you're filling the, uh, the lead man role, uh, you know, with the rest of the band. Um, yeah, how else did it, uh, how did it go? Well, I want to clarify, clarify when I say that that night was like a family reunion. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't just with the guys in the band. It was like, you know, there were 50 other people there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Backstage, all the yeah, it was a tribute to artists that performed, and then there were behind the scenes people too, like WNEW, and you know, just people that I met when I first got into this whole thing. Okay, and, looking uh, way back, looking back so, years, yeah, yeah, it was the whole milieu of it, you know, it just mm-hmm. really like took me back. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I have a real fondness about that period of my, of my life anyway, you know, mm-hmm. back when we were all young. And yeah. everything was new and exciting. It's like I love to think back on those times. And uh, so that night at the Count Basie Theater it was just like it's all right here in the room, you know. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I loved. And then playing the, I played three songs with the guys, and it really was fun. It was mm. just a very exciting band, you know. I mean, yeah. as far as like me being up there, they asked me to do it, and. Uh, I just get up there and sing the songs and play them, you know. There's not a, there's not a lot of baggage attached to it for me. I'm just up I'm up there having fun playing yeah. with a great rock and roll band. We're going to have to take the break cuz Zoom loves us. I'm told they they'll <laughs> just like end the meeting, but we're going to go into a little wild one, number 5. Okay, I don't I don't want to hear that song. I'm a fool in the old way, but I know in my heart everything will be right when I hold her tonight. I'm gonna kill you, 
Okay, we're back, and you're listening to Jim and Mike Talk Music, and we're here today with Marshall Crenshaw. Thank you for your time, Marshall. It's all right. Glad to be yeah. here. Good, good. <laughs> I have a top 10 list that I made. Oh. Each, each song is from one of your studio albums. So I'm going to go down the list. If you could pick a couple songs to tell us about, maybe what inspired you to write the song, maybe something yeah, some little story interesting about, about the song. Yeah. Okay. So Jim's favorites. So we're going to start with 10 is The Spell is Broken. Nine, oh, fantastic, wow. fantastic Planet of Love. Eight, Valerie. Seven, Television Light, which I love. Mm-hmm. Six, Calling Out oh, nice. for, for Love at Crying Time. Five, 2541. Four, Live and uh-huh. Learn. Three, oh, yeah. Whenever You're on My Mind. Two, Little Wild One, number five, which I take you don't like that much. (laughs) (laughs) And number one, Cynical Girl. Cynical Girl, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, you decide which Uh, ones you want me to talk about. uh, Let's talk about 2541. Okay. Um, pretty, you know, very straightforward, really. But uh, that was the first, like, studio album that I did with Razor and Tie. And about 50% of it was done in, in a professional studio. And then the rest of it, I did at home. First thing I had for the album was, uh, what, do, what do you dream of? The first song on the, on the first side. I don't remember why I wrote it. And that was from Miracle of Science album. Yeah. Anyway, I had had one song and I just kind of wanted to keep going. At some point, I decided to look for outside songs because I was getting exhausted trying to write an album's worth of songs. Mm -hmm. It's like, (laughs) it's really hard to do. But uh, anyway, I, I just heard 2541 on the radio. I took my wife over to the hospital where she worked and dropped her off and drove back home and I was listening to WDST, the Woodstock station. Mm-hmm. The DJ was a guy named Nick Harcourt, English guy. Or he had an English accent anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I heard, a, you know, I heard a version of 2541, not by the person that wrote the song, uh, by a guy called Robert Forrester, who I don't really know much of anything about. But anyhow, I, I just immediately love the song. Just like the spareness of it, mm-hmm. I like I really like songs that somehow are are really vivid, that really stir your imagination, but with yeah. like a minimum of words, you know, a minimum number of words that just mm-hmm. uh, somehow the the language is just so straightforward, but there's like there's so much in it, you know, but not a lot of blah blah blah, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, this is a song about people in transition. That's something that everybody understands, I guess. So uh, I think it's about moving and moving, moving into a house. That's the Mm -hmm. address of the house. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was then eventually a divorce because then by the end of the song, I think he's moving back out of the house. Yeah. Something like that. Well, I found out more about it later on because I I talked to somebody and they said, well, that's actually a song by Grant Hart. From Husker Du, the band Husker Du. I'm like, yeah, I've got some Husker Du records, and uh, anyhow, it it turns out it's a song about the the band, you know, the formation and breakup of band. So that was like a song from from him right when he was starting to just embark on a solo career and and a life away from the band. Anyhow, I love I love the song, and uh, I mean he that. He had a, he wrote a lot of great songs, great a, a whole bunch of them. 
Uh, he's he's deceased now, but that was it. And uh, you know, I st- I didn't hear a, a version of it by by the songwriter till out after till after I'd already recorded it. Because mm-hmm. when I went down to Nashville and di- and did it with the guys in the studio, we just played it in an entirely different way. I mm-hmm. guess I must have come up with the arrangement, but yeah. you know, the guys I was with really are just all really super creative and great in, in the studio really good at thinking on their feet and uh that's a really good track yeah. i think that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's like an outstanding track that I, amongst the stuff i've done i really Very like cool. that one it's really exciting going way back what about cynical girl on your first album yeah this is one that got the radio play See, well, I was writing tons of songs at that time because I just sort of figured out why I should be writing them, you know. I wrote songs so I could make records. Kind of stumbled around, bumbled along. I knew that I was going to do something with my life that revolved around popular music. But, you know, it took me a while to, like, make up my mind or figure out what exactly it was going to be. The whole thing of being a singer-songwriter and the guy with my name on everything that that was like a late stage career path choice right but uh all of a sudden it just came to me you know like what i wanted the songs to sound like what i wanted the records to sound like it was like i had a path in my mind mm-hmm. and so i just was writing a lot of songs all the time and i would just like sit down with my guitar i'd start i'd figure out what kind of groove kind of beat to start from the bottom and just build it up Cynical Girl, I mean, sounds like I wrote, I probably wrote the music in, in 10 minutes. And then <laughs> the words I thought of, of when I was, I, I went to pay a parking ticket or a traffic ticket. I went, I went to court and paid, a, and paid a, a ticket. As I'm walking back to my car after that, words all just kind of popped into my head. I was really in that zone where I was always looking for ideas and always having ideas. And it was just like one right after the other. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fun while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I noticed that song has the same chords as Peggy Sue. But I know those chords are yeah. used in, yeah. you know, a lot of songs. It is a, it is a Buddy Holly thing. You know, okay. I, I agree <laughs> about that. And like, I mean, he's been in my head all my life because I loved mm-hmm. him when I was a little child. You know, he was still walking to earth when I first caught on to him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I just yeah. wrote the music. The words are, you know, people ask me sometimes. They say, "Well, who is it about?" You know, or do the people they say, "Did you ever find your cynical girl?" And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you're, not, "You're not supposed to just take it all literally." Yeah, yeah everything. Oh yeah, songs. It's not like it's not like a diary, you know, or a, a, a mm-hmm. diary. But uh, you know, the funny part for me, or the interesting part, is the part where I say, "I hate, I hate TV." It's gotta be somebody other than me. It's like it's a song about like mass culture. Like anyhow. People take it personal, yeah. So speaking of Buddy Holly, let's talk about you were in the movie La Bamba. That was nineteen eighty seven. Mm-hmm. And you were you were in the role of Buddy Holly. Yeah. Uh I was. So it was obviously towards the end of the movie or in probably one scene. I haven't seen the movie in a while. <laughs> You performed, I guess you performed a couple songs in the movie? No, just one. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, I'm lip syncing, but anyway, it's mm-hmm. just one song. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you get to pick the song or that was already in the script? 
I guess. No, I I didn't get to pick it. And it, it, what happened was um, in the script, they you know they had him doing that'll be the day, no brainer, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so anyhow, you know, like I booked the recording session, and I I did the track with Gary Talent at his mm. studio in uh, Red Bank, I think it was, and uh, he said, well, why don't we do crying, waiting, hoping, too, because the president of Warner Brothers Records said, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you do, um, while you, as long as you're doing that'll be the day, why don't you also do Well, All Right? He liked that mm. one, so he asked us to do that one. So then Gary at the session said, well, what about crying, waiting, hoping? And I, I said, well, Gary, you know, that, that was a song that Buddy Holly wrote in his apartment before he went out on that tour. Yeah. He was trying to write some stuff to, to record when he got back from the tour, but he never got back from the tour. <laughs> right so yeah, but anyway yeah. uh, Gary just said well you know we'll, we'll try it so we did and uh I think it was my idea to have the drummer just play the tom toms all the way through and get this kind of heavy beat going with it but anyway th that was they picked that one like the producers heard it uh, the, I mean the film producers heard it and just mm -hmm. for some reason they I guess they liked the beat yeah the only yeah. thing I didn't like was sped up the, they sped up the track and I used to always hate it when they would do that because it would make my voice sound uh, even thinner, you know. Mm -hmm, I didn't wow. like that song. They they but took anyhow, the liberty to speed it up. Yeah, that's yeah. They're a movie, so they can do whatever they want. <laughs> so overall, that was a better they, decision. Uh, the the choice of songs that was a better decision than than that'll be the day. I guess it was. I mean, you know, you know, it's a good track, and uh, the album was huge. It was like triple platinum. Nice, and, uh, mm -hmm. but I—I I mean, I didn't. No, I didn't actually have any. Uh, I, I came up. So I'm going to say that I came up with the arrangement that we did with the drums the way they are. But that's how that. That's that's mm -hmm. the story of that one. Have you ever thought about doing? I know you've done some, like we were just talking about Buddy Holly songs. But have you ever thought about doing an album? You know, Pat Denizio put out an album in 2009 of all Buddy Holly songs. Have you ever thought about Pat yeah. wrote Pat wrote Buddy Holly songs? Yeah, it was called no. Pat Denizio Buddy Holly. Huh. Yeah. No, no, I missed that completely. But I love doing his music. You know, whenever I get a chance to do it, I never, I've never thought of doing a a record of the stuff because how could you know you could you couldn't improve on it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd rather listen to his, I'd rather listen to his records. Well, Pat, Pat had that style and his voice, you know, just, I don't know. And, mm -hmm. and he yeah, loved I mean, Buddy Holly. If he felt motivated to do it, then it's great that he did it. Yeah, and, he, uh, had, he had like a string, a string section and ones. I mean, it was, it's very well done. It's very, yeah. very. Yeah, I wasn't uh -huh. even, it, it I wasn't even aware great. of that either. Yeah, yeah. That's probably not on Apple Music. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> a lot of side projects that Pat did. Yeah. Yeah. I'll check that out. I'll see if I yeah. can find it. Yeah. yeah. Ask Jimmy. Maybe he has a copy. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I just, yeah. Let's go back even further to uh, 1978. Uh, we heard that you had a part in Beatlemania. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. Well, that was a real turning point in my life. You know, I grew up in the Detroit area, decided to uproot myself from the Detroit area about 1907. I really didn't know what I was going to do or what was going to happen. But uh, I headed west with this friend of mine that I went to high school with. We drove out to L.A. and I was going to join this band that he was in. And then that didn't work out. But then the person from his band that didn't hire me put me onto this other band. And I traveled around the west for six months with that band. My goal, my initial idea was to go to L.A. and stay there and just try to figure something out, you know, mm -hmm. to do with my life. There was really nothing left that I could do in the Detroit area. But anyhow, just to cut to the chase, I wound up, I wound up in Beatlemania. I wound up on the East Coast instead of the West Coast and uh, got hired to be in Beatlemania. Mm -hmm. So I was an understudy in New York for six months. That was my first time. That's how I got to New York. And my wife and I both fell in love with the city instantly. She'd already been there once. I never had, but my younger brother was living there at the time. But anyhow, we just, yeah. just really took to it right away. And uh, 
So I was an understudy for six months. Used to go to work every day. It was like a day job going to mm-hmm. Beatles school. You know, <laughs> yeah, every day. immersing yourself completely like an actor would in, in the Beatles. You're just I guess. I mean, I'd already done that as a fan of the of right. theirs, you know, like I was I was a fan in real time. You right. know? I heard yeah. it all mm-hmm. coming to the world as new stuff. But anyhow, uh, I got into the West Coast Company because somebody, one of the one of the Johns heard <laughs> uh, <laughs> in a motorcycle accident, wound up in the hospital. And while the guy was in the hospital, they fired him and gave me his job. Wow. I guess they didn't <laughs> like him. <laughs> but uh anyway, don't like you when you're so down long. that's exactly yeah. it was it was nasty but yeah. I, you know i just went along with it yeah, uh, yeah. I, I needed i needed the gig so uh i did it uh until the west coast company shut down that was about six months in all and then i was in a touring company for longer than six months and then finally i just i was done and i quit mm-hmm. in february of 1980 but, but by then like I knew what I wanted to do with my life and how I was going to be an artist and yeah. all that mm-hmm. stuff. I just, I talked before about how I it just all of a sudden came together in my mind. That yeah. was while I was still in Beatlemania. So with, with Beatlemania, what was, what was some of the most challenging pieces of that? Cause this isn't you doing your own songs. I know you're a fan from the start of the Beatles. And so that, that made it easier. You know, what's the most difficult part, you know, playing that part instead of just being yourself on stage and, and, and singing your own songs? Well, there was very little to it other than just playing and singing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there really, I mean, there was supposed to be some acting, but it was, it was mm-hmm. like way less than minimal. You know yeah. what I mean? But uh, the hard part was maintaining enthusiasm for doing it because they wanted it exactly identical night after night mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah sure you couldn't fluctuate i'm sure if they could have they would have used um you know those animatronic things that they have at Disney <laughs> holograms World of yeah <laughs> yeah, well, how, yeah, yeah use robots instead of humans yeah. yeah i get it i like get Disney. it yeah <laughs> yeah if they could have afforded it they would have done that but yeah gotcha anyway that's i i just got once the novelty wore off, then I was really, really bored with doing it. But the, but the, but, but the social part of it was really, I, I really enjoyed because I like the people in the companies. You know, there were a couple of people that I didn't, that I didn't like particularly, but, but on bulk, <laughs> I like mm-hmm. the people and I like, you know, the work situation, just, you know, the travel. I was really up for the travel at that time in my life. And, you know, once I got in the touring company, we went around to like every major city in the country and, and stayed not just for one night, like with a rock band, but it was like, it was theater, you know? So we would stay mm-hmm. for two weeks or five weeks or whatever it was. And I was really like, I was up for that, you know, like I wanted mm-hmm. to see the country and see the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were in these beautiful old theaters built back at, at the beginning of the 20th century. Most of them, you know, movie palaces or whatever yeah, they were. Yeah. Vaudeville houses. <laughs> I loved all of that. So that was my favorite part of it. But I got sick of the music really fast, <laughs> which was a real shock to me that mm-hmm. I could get sick of the Beatles. How the heck could it, how could, how, yeah. could it, how could anybody ever get sick of the Beatles? You know? Yeah. But it happened well, to me. Yeah, it's the same as... For yeah, yeah. Yeah, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. It'd be like working, you know, at a burger shop and you know, I love a good burger, but what happens when you're working there and that's and the you, smell. That's all you're eating every day. And that's day. it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's that probably the same thing. Yeah, it's forced you have to yeah. that's your work, right? Yeah, eating the same dinner every night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's great that I that I did it and I really love that it happened. There's not a lot of people that, that can say that they were uh, you know, in Beatlemania and you know, doing that on stage, yeah. It's it's a small club. Beatlemania was like, you know, it was the genesis kind of of uh, the whole tribute tribute band thing, which now is like half of show business. This tribute yeah. band, bands. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, making the making the medium sized circuits. Yeah. Is there a Marshall Crenshaw tribute band? Yeah. Oh, that's there a- should be <laughs> myself. Not that I know of. We'll look it up. We'll have to search that. Yeah. What do you got, Jim? So we normally don't do this, but my friend Ken Vale Jr. 
He's a big fan of yours, and he had some questions. And mm-hmm. we're going to end the interview with his his questions. But uh, sure. So he he mentioned you were working on a film uh, about a rec- record producer, Tom Wilson. And yeah, I, I did find some articles from a couple of years ago. But I was wondering if you were still working on, it or if that was going to come to be. No, but it's been on it's been on a forward going path ever mm-hmm. since about twenty sixteen. Okay. I lost most of the year in 2020, mm-hmm. of course, due to the pandemic. But no, it's still ongoing, and uh, you know, we I, I have this really incredible group of collaborators that are really steadfast, and that's how I remind myself that it's a real thing because these people yeah. are they're not gonna they're not flaking out on me. They're really into it, mm-hmm. and they're all they're they're all like a lot smarter than me. <laughs> but we just, we just ended this thing called Sundance Catalyst. Got to see what that's all about, if that's going to turn into anything. But we got a lot of work done. It's a really vital American story. I'll believe that yeah. to the very bitter end, you know, whatever. It, mm-hmm. it, we're going to make the movie this year. We're going to finish it during 2022. It's about time, I think. But it's, like, it's really hard. It's really hard to do. I'm mm-hmm. just going to warn you if you ever decide to try it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to make a movie <laughs> it's very hard anyway we're doing remind uh, remind uh for our listeners again what's the title of the movie i don't think there's a title no, is, you don't you don't want to say the working title maybe right now the title is chasing the black ghost okay okay and then maybe that will be the title that, that, mm-hmm. okay. that might, that might hang there. <laughs> there have been a couple of different ones along the way that one i think is probably going to go the distance though We'll yeah. see. That would be a good one. Yeah, yeah. Catchy title. So, so Ken's next question was, um, you've covered a number of songs by Bobby Fuller. Um, and we we just interviewed Terry Manning a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard it, Terry okay. Manning. Yeah. And he was I'm, friends yeah, with, I him. Yeah, he was Man, friends so- with Bobby at a very young age. Oh, I didn't know that. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. Bobby played at his... Middle school. He was 13. It wasn't even and, high school. And Bobby Fuller came and played at the dance. Yeah. And so Terry Manning, Terry Manning is from Texas, I guess. Yeah, yeah El Paso. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he, and he knew one of the songs, right? And so he said, hey, come on up here. Well, Terry had just, he knew a couple songs. He just, I guess he just recently got a guitar. Mm-hmm. And intermission or something, he went up to Bobby Fuller and asked if he could sit in. And he actually played. A couple songs of Bobby Fuller at yeah. the age of thirteen. Yeah, you know? it's pretty wild. How did you? How did you become a fan of his his work? Uh, I felt the law. It was a hit mm-hmm. record. It was yeah. a huge hit record. It was in eighth grade. Listened to the radio all the time, like all the kids my age did. Yeah, and uh, you know, it was a little bit uh, like something from another time, almost. You know, because it mm-hmm. was a kind of southwestern. You know, it was in the middle of what they called it. Well, uh, you know, it's, uh, Top 40 Radio was always really eclectic. Right. Much but, more, much more than that. Now. Well, whatever Top 40 is, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I fought the law, but it was still kind of out of left field because it was you know, like a, a cricket's tune, Sonny, Sonny Curtis. And anyway, I really, I loved that record when I heard mm-hmm. it. And then a bunch of years went by and I was in a clothing store in the in new york city called it wasn't trash and vaudeville it was one of those other ones there's a finished clothing store mm-hmm. and they had the rhino compilation album of the bobby fuller four and listening to it going this music has my name on it this is it was <laughs> like i just instantly loved every note of it you know and i said well what's this to somebody and they said it's they held up the cover and I'm like, well, that was it. I was just like instantaneously captivated by this stuff when mm-hmm. I heard it. They're like, never to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. It's just a magical song and record, you know. It's just right up my alley, right? Yeah. yeah. What's not to like? I loved it right away. And that's and that's from Texas to Detroit, right? You were in Detroit at the time? Yeah, I grew up yeah. in the Detroit area. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of transplanted Southern people in Detroit. Mm-hmm. My, my father's family came up my my grand my dad's father was from tennessee not that that I, yeah what am i trying to say i don't so know probably going where the work was back then you, anyhow yeah. that, like it just really hit me 
Yeah. I love that kind of music. I'm not, but I don't love it if it's if it's not done in a powerful way or a way that's compelling. You know, mm-hmm. anybody can right. string three chords together. But those those Bobby Fuller records are beautiful records to me. They have that kind of otherworldly thing about them mm-hmm. where they just kind of take me into an imaginative realm. Just the sounds, the, the really the totality of the records. I just really like it. It's it's like right up my alley. So for our listeners, if you want to find Marshall, you're on Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, I I am. I mean, I have a, a, this nice person who does all that stuff for me. Yeah, because okay. I'm not on social media myself. I was on Facebook for a little while. Me personally, I was on it, but okay. I, I just gets to be get in arguments and fights. Yeah, oh, I yeah. was just getting like, in arguments and fights with family <laughs> yeah. members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like a I it's like a debate club. It's like you're joining a debate club, you know, yeah, if that's what you want. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> so, Marshall, it was great talking to you. Yeah, very good talking to you. Thank is there you. any is there anything uh, that you want to say to our listeners? Anything that we uh, missed or something that you'd like to say? No, we covered a lot, okay. and I can't think of anything we covered <laughs> that we should have covered. I'll just say thanks to you guys for your interest, and to anybody else that's interested. And I'm sure we'll 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 see you at the Smithereens. We'll we'll come up and say hi. And with, <laughs> with myself too. I'm going to be out playing shows in September of my own. So. Oh yeah. Anyway, Great. bye guys. Okay. Great. Thank right. you. I'd love to go back and undo a few things that I have done. Got a handful of bitter regrets, like when I betrayed someone. Helped me when I was down I was young and dumb at the time Leave me, I don't feel good When those days are on my mind They're gone now Not to return And we move on Trying to Today's interview was recorded on Zoom and at Did You Say 7 Studios in Washington, New Jersey. Go to the YouTube channel for exclusive video content. Excellent music by the band 99%. Today's show was produced and edited by Jim Thatcher. You can find Jim and Mike Talk Music on Apple Music, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The song's television light, Little Wild One Number 5, 2541, Cynical Girl, and Live and Learn. Use with permission from Marshall Crenshaw. Good night, everybody.